All right. So uh, we normally use a different Bible, but we have the Pew Bible in here. Um, so today I'll be preaching from the Pew Bible because you all have access to it and I can tell you what page and things like that. So, um, so I have a couple of questions up here and if there are any more back there, um, someone can bring them forward when we get to that point. All right. So there are some. Okay. All right. All right. Ooh. All right. Thank you for this one. All right. All right. The first question is, can a Christian be demon possessed? Um, can a Christian be demon possessed? Well, um, that's a great question. Um, I'm thinking of, all right, I can answer it two ways. First of all, um, we see in the scriptures, we see, I'm, I'm trying to find the, the, the place, so give me a moment. So, um, in the scriptures, we see Jesus uh, deals with demons, um, and casts them out. Um, one of my, one of the passages I find very interesting is in Luke chapter 4. Um, so, uh, uh, let's see, page 62 in the New Testament section of the Pew Bible. So, um, so we read um, about, uh, I have a heading here, the man with an unclean spirit. So starting in verse 31, he, Jesus, went down to Capernaum, a city in Galilee, and was teaching them on the Sabbath. They were astounded at his teaching because he spoke with authority. And in the synagogue there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon. And he cried out with a loud voice, Let us alone. What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. Here endeth the reading. Um, so, so uh, in that passage, what, what I find particularly remarkable about it is that this is a guy who comes to church every Sunday, or in his case, he comes to synagogue every Saturday. So he has the spirit of an unclean demon, whatever that means. So um, uh, uh, nothing good. And um, he he speaks to Jesus, recognizing Jesus as someone who would come to destroy him. So, uh, so... Does that make him equivalent with a Christian? No, but it's it's provocative that here's a guy who is who is obeying the outward um, evidence of uh, of faith, but but um, is actually being uh, possessed by a demon. So so um, that's the closest thing I can think of in terms of a of a scripture passage. Uh, the Bible takes demons very seriously. Um, I think the challenge we have as believers is to take them seriously, but not take them too seriously because because um uh you know some of us are old enough to remember flip wilson and the devil made me do it does it all right does anyone all right there's some some of us who are old enough so i think sometimes people people will will use um uh, demonic uh, uh powers and and so forth as a as a um as an excuse for whatever they're doing um and i don't want to go that far but but the Bible is very serious about um, about demons. Paul says in his letter to the Ephesians, he says, um, this is in Ephesians 6. Um, he says that um, if there's somebody you know who's driving you nuts and you think they're your enemy, um, he says, no, um, they aren't. He says, our struggle is not, this is uh, chapter 6, verse 
12, our struggle is not against enemies of blood and flesh, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So, um, so that's half of my answer. And the other half, I'm just going to kind of stumble my way through. So forgive me because I'm still working this out. And it has to do, you know, did you notice the language? It says the spirit of an unclean demon. So, so, um, what does that mean? You know, he doesn't say simply a demon. He says the spirit of an unclean demon. And I have thought a lot about what it is we mean when we talk about spirit. You know, we, we, we have the idea of, of, uh, spirits as, as non-corporeal beings. So they don't have a body, but they, they have some existence. They're personal, um, uh, beings. The Holy Spirit is the, is the prime example of that. But there's this idea there's other spirits, um, that, that the scriptures refer to. So, so I think a lot of us, because we, you know, we grow up and we, we live in a material world and a material age, um, we have trouble with that. We can say, okay, yes, the Holy Spirit, but we put the Holy Spirit in a bucket, you know, kind of in a box of its own and of, of his own, and we don't we don't think about it beyond that. Um, and and what I've been thinking about is the idea of a spirit as being um, the character of of a particular context. So um, uh, the example C.S. Lewis does uh, uses he talks about. The spirit of a club, or a um, because he's from posh schools in England, he talks about a house. So um, you know how. So for us, how is Gryffindor different from from um, Slytherin? How is you know one college in Oxford different from another college? They have their own unique character. That even though you can't point to any one person and say, well, there's where the spirit lies. The spirit of of this house. Is here, but there is this this ethos or this um, a character that is that is that is um, motivating people to do the things they do, the, to live the way they do. So here's the question: If you have, if if that, if if we can accept that that's a kind of a, a definition of spirit, it's not a personal spirit, but it is it is this idea of a spirit. Take that up to the next level. What if it is personal? And in particular, what if it's malevolent? You know, why do people do the bad things they do? You know, um, partly it's because, because of the people around us, the, 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 the circumstances of our, of our, um, life that there is a, there is a, um, there's an environment. You know, I don't want to just say environment. I want to say there's something malevolent about the environment that you can't put your finger on what exactly it is. Why is it, why is it bad? So, so that's just something, like I said, I'm kind of stumbling my way through that, um, and, and trying to figure out what it is I think about spirits because, because I can't point to a spirit and say, well, there's a spirit, right? So I'm trying to figure it out based on what the scriptures teach. Um, and, and one last thought, um, on this topic, um, you know, on the, the, the guy in the church, you know, how many, how many bad people have thought of themselves as good Christians? You know, just imagine over the past 2,000 years, people who've done horrible things have thought of themselves as Christians. And, you know, does that mean that they're possessed? Um, there's a, there's a line, um, I forget who said it, um, 
we don't have our ideas, our ideas have us. And so, you know, if you believe that, you know, I am a whatever, you've got some idea about yourself, that idea kind of takes hold of you and it kind of possesses you. So, um, so if you think of the, I mean, there's been killers, there's been terrible people down through the years um, who who have thought of themselves as Christians. So maybe they are possessed in the sense that their ideas have them, even if we're not willing to go quite so far as to say some non-corporeal being had them. So that's that's something I'm... That's my best attempt to answer that one. So let me ask... Let me look at another one. So... All right, here is Matthew 5, um, verses 17 through 19. So Matthew 5, uh, the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, I'm guessing it's going to be about page 5 of the New Testament. So uh, page 4. So here, let me just read it out, out um, front. So he says, do not think that I have come to abolish, this is Jesus speaking in the Sermon on the Mount, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have come not to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one letter, not one stroke of a letter will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So that's the um, that's the passage. And the question is this. If Jesus said nothing of the law and Torah has... Nothing of the, Laura, uh, of the law of Torah, so the, the, the first five books of the Bible, the Jewish law, um, has changed... Not until heaven and earth pass away. Why is it we believe some laws of Exodus, Leviticus, laws of Moses, is no longer applicable to us? All right. So why why do we have a New Testament instead of an Old Testament? Why what, why do we have a new covenant instead of an old covenant? Well, the reason is because um, Jesus said that. Um, so let me just kind of put the pieces together. So so in his in his. Um, Final meal with his disciples, he said, uh, before he was crucified, Jesus said, um, this is the, the, the bread of the new covenant, this is the wine of the new covenant, um, sealed in my blood. So Jesus says, I am establishing a new covenant. And, um, uh, we believe that, that he did. Um, on the cross, Jesus said, it is finished. And, um, uh, as, as, um, as he died, and um, uh, and so people have have um, interpreted that. It's not the only interpretation, but one interpretation of that is that Jesus is saying that he has accomplished the work that was set before him. He's done what what he came to do, including the fulfillment of the 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 law of the um, the Old Testament. So what he's talking about, um, and he says. Not one letter will pass away until all is accomplished. So he says, he says two things there. He says, not until heaven and earth 
pass away. But he also says, until all things are accomplished. Heaven and earth have not passed away, so we would we would say, well, that was not the part of his sentence that applies. The part that applies is where he says it is finished and says it is accomplished. So, so in the uh, letter to the Hebrews, let me find this one. Um, so in chapter eight, so page two twenty three in the New Testament section, in the letter to the Hebrews. Um, the the writer quotes the um, the the um, Hebrew scriptures where God says the days are surely coming when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel not like the covenant I made with their ancestors um, for they did not continue in my covenant so the the old covenant the problem with the old covenant wasn't that there was anything wrong with it the problem was the people it was given to they did not obey it that that we cannot fulfill the law. So he says, I will put my laws in their minds, I will write them on their hearts, and um, uh, and they shall not teach each other or say to each other, know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. And then, so he's quoting the Hebrew Scriptures, and then at the bottom, uh, or at the end of that, that passage, the writer says, in speaking of a new covenant, he has made the first one obsolete, and what is obsolete and growing old will soon disappear. So the, the writer of Hebrews says that Jesus has fulfilled the, the covenant, and we are now in the, the, the time in salvation history in which God is writing the law in our hearts. So um, so people, people usually interpret that to mean what Jesus is talking about, sending the Spirit to guide us into all knowledge. So, um, so that we have the Holy Spirit living in us, so we don't need an external law on tablets to guide us, because we have the Holy Spirit guiding us. So, um, so that is why we think that there are passages of the of the law that are no longer applicable to us, because the writer of the Hebrews says it is obsolete um, that the 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 new law, um, the new covenant replaces it. So he has made the first one obsolete. So that's my understanding of that passage. All right. Next question. Did Jesus have a sense of humor? And if so, where is it mentioned in the Bible? All right. Um, so so uh, this is, you know, I, there used to be a picture you'd see, people would hang it on their walls, a picture of Jesus laughing. Um Okay, yeah. So I like to think of that. Uh, you know, you know, what's Jesus going to do? He's either going to cry or he's going to laugh, right? So, um, so I like to think he's laughing instead of crying because, because of just how, just how sorry and sad this world can be. Um, that that Jesus can can um, see something to laugh about in it. So, um, uh where is a passage some people think that when jesus says to the woman at um so the syrophoenician woman so this is something i've read i don't know you know you judge for yourself so the the where is the syrophoenician woman anyone remember that all you bsf people you should know this right so the syrophoenician women all right uh, well, thank you. It very well, well may be. Um, so, 
So who is the Syrophoenician woman? Jesus is in the area of um, Tyre and Sidon. What? Mark 7? All right. All right, page 42. There we go. So, um, so some people want to soften what's going on here um, by saying Jesus said that with a wink. Um, but I don't see anything about a wink in it. So, so the woman was a Gentile of Syrophoenician or, origin. She begged him to cast the d- demon out of her daughter, and he said, no, right? He said, he said, let the children be fed first, for it's not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. And because that is such a hard saying for us to get our heads wrapped around, some people say, well, Jesus is joking. He's, he's jousting with her. And she jousts back. She says, sir, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And then he said, you know, you make me laugh. For saying that, you can go. The demon has left your daughter. So is that what's going on? I don't know. Um, I've read that, uh, so I'm just sharing that with you. Um, uh, you know, where else, where else might we think Jesus has a sense of humor? Um, I, you know, I think w- whenever Jesus says something hard, maybe that's a place we, we might say, oh no, he was joking. Um, so, uh, when, when, um, at, at the end of John's, uh, gospel in, on page 116, so, um, the the other disciple um, is following along behind Peter and and Jesus. Jesus has just restored um, Peter to fellowship, and um, uh, the the beloved disciple is following along. And Peter said, "Lord, what about him?" And he said, "None of your business." So he said, "If it's my will, he remain to until I come. What is that to you? Follow me." So, uh, you know, these are these are places where I've seen people comment that Jesus is is uh, joking or is kind of, you know, n- not as harsh as it sounds. So, you know, is is that uh, is that proof he's? It's not even proof he's joking, much less proof that he's got a sense of humor. So, I don't know of any passages. Um, I don't know. Has anyone else heard passages cited? Yeah, Rick. He had pet names for okay the, the sons of thunder. Sons of thunder. I think that was a joke. Okay, so so it could be people. People sometimes say, well, Zebedee was you know a real thunderous guy, and so maybe they were they were sons of thunder, or maybe he's just saying you guys are always you know threatening to call down fire on a village or something. So so you know what does he mean by that? The the word uh, when he says ye of little faith. In, in the older translations, he's saying he, he made a, there is a word that doesn't exist in Greek, and he made it up, and it's it's you little faiths. So Jesus is saying, ah, you little faiths, you know. And so you know, here I just did this thing. I walked across the water, or I fed a multitude, and they go, you know, you know, it's not that they say I don't believe you; they just don't believe him. The next time the opportunity comes up, and so Jesus calls them you little faiths. So um, maybe that's a little um, a diminutive kind of a, an endearment. Oh, you're my little little faith. So so maybe that's what he's getting at. Um, so that's uh, that's my answer to that. And we have time for a monstrous one, a gigantic one. So what does this say? All right. Following the creation account in Genesis one, in Genesis one twenty eight, we are told that God blessed them and said to them, "Be fruitful and increase in number." Fill the earth and subdue it. 
Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. What words, what were, what words were the words subdue and rule over translated from? And what does this mean for us? Okay. I can, I can actually look that up. Um, I do not have the Hebrew of Genesis 1 committed to memory. <laughs> There's a guy, um, he, I, I, I saw him. I never met him. I saw him in the library. Bruce Metzger, who is the leader of the translation committee for the New Testament of the RSV, and then the leader of the whole project for the New Revised, um, he would he would be in the library at Princeton, and people said that he would he would he had that level of knowledge. He would people would um, ask him a question, and he'd say, "Well, yes, in the Hebrew, but not in the Ugaritic." Um, you know, because he knew all the ancient languages, so um, I, I never got a chance to test that on him. So where is my? Um, there it is. So Genesis one twenty eight. All right. So um, no, not twenty eight. All right, so be fruitful, multiply, um, fill the earth, and subdue it. So what is the word subdue? Bear fruit, be many, fill the earth, subdue. So the definition here ranges everything from... Um, bringing under control to enslaving. So it's a strong word. So this is the word um, kabosh or kabosh or something. I'm not good at the Hebrew. So um, now we have a little knowledge, which is a dangerous thing. So let me let me. Um, so what does it mean? So the word itself means means uh, to subdue to to enslave, to dominate. It's a strong word, right? We just saw that. But the the general principle of interpreting the Bible is um, that you can't interpret one verse, pull it out, and say, here I go, watch me go enslave the earth. So um, we have to read the Bible as a, as a, as a complete package. And so, so we can't just pull verses out that are handy for us, no matter... What they say, um, and uh, so I would I would read this in the context um, of the rest of Scripture, and the way that the way that um, I am persuaded. There's a biblical scholar named N. T. Wright, and he says um, that the the language here is um, is the the language of um, ancient Near Eastern temples. And the the idea is that um, uh, sorry not not temples uh, 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 treaty language, and when you when you conquered another country or something, you put up um, you put up signs that said this is now our territory. So you'd erect a, um, a pile of rocks or something like that that said this is you know you know whatever it used to be now it's run by the Assyrians or whoever. And he says that that God is using the language of those sorts of treaties here to say that the humans are 
the signposts that we are that pile of rocks that tells people this is God's territory. So um, I haven't studied the ancient treaty language myself, but but that's that's the way he describes it. He says he says if you read that word, it's it's a strong word because God has total control over everything that is. But the the um, the humans, what God made them in His image. That's that's the signpost that tells people, watch out, this is God's property. So, um, so uh, is that is that what it means? Um, I will let you decide for yourself. But um, C.S. Lewis in in um, Mere Christianity, he he describes. The, the word mine, um, you know, we just had some kids here, right? If I asked, if I just asked, um, Caden, he said he got five presents, right? And when you're at that age and you say, you know, this is mine, right? You know, I unwrapped it and now I have this thing. Um, there's two ways of, of reading the, uh, of saying it's mine. One is, this is a gift to you from your parents. From Santa Claus, whoever, um, that, that, um, they want you to have because they love you, right? So it's, it's yours because they've given it to you. Another way to read it is this is mine to do with what I want, right? And if parents give you something because they love you and want you to enjoy it, they don't want you to destroy it. They want you to, to have it and value it and appreciate it. As a sign of their love to you, so he gives an example of a little kid who rips a teddy bear apart, right? And yes, maybe you do that, but that's not what what is meant when they say this is your teddy bear. No one, no one gives you a teddy bear so you can practice ripping it to shreds. They give you a teddy bear because they want you to have this sweet little cuddly thing. So um, that's another way, uh, perhaps, of looking at the word, um, the language there about having control of the earth that. You have it, but not because the intention is you would destroy it, but because because God wants you to enjoy all that that there is. Um, uh, and I will stop there with one last thought, which is that passage is on the other side of the fall. So maybe God could trust Adam to subdue the earth before the fall. But once Adam disobeyed, once Adam sinned, then does that does that um, gift from God still apply? And that would be a, a theological topic to take up. Um, and again, that's an example of context. You can't simply pull that out and say, therefore it applies now. You have to justify why something before the fall is still true after the fall. Why don't we all run around naked, right? <laughs> because the fall, right? They were they were naked and unashamed, and then they weren't. Um, so uh, things changed. All right, and I think with that we will stop. Um, thank you for doing this. I, I always like to know what's on your mind, and and I like to um, to think on my feet. And this is a this is a treat for me to do this once once in a while. So, all right. Did I find them all? 
So I'll have to look up the one on demons. That one, that is, like I said, it's something I've been thinking about, and I don't really know what I think about it. So, um, well then.